Hello, and welcome to season two of Coffee and Code. I'm your host, Ashley Coffee. Coffee and Code is here to help bridge the gap between technology and people through each informative episode. On this show, you'll hear exclusive interviews with experts and innovators in the tech space. No matter your level of expertise or ability, I believe you can be excited, informed, and empowered to learn how the rapidly evolving tech world impacts your daily life. Subscribe to Coffee and Code to be notified when new episodes go live. You can also find me on Twitter at AshleyCoffee underscore and on Instagram at AshleyRCoffee89. Thanks for listening and welcome to Coffee and Code. Hello and welcome to another episode of Coffee and Code. I'm excited to have Alex Meland on the show today. It's awesome because Alex and I actually met in real life at the AWE conference this past May in California. But a little bit about Alex. He is an American virtual reality industry professional and content creator. Alex co-founded the Between Realities VR podcast, which is a talk show with weekly guests from within the world of virtual reality with partner Harry Skiva, Skigas in 2020. But since then, the program has become a hub for the VR community and was nominated for Social VR Influencer of the Year in the 2021 VR Awards and the VR Content Creator of the Year in the 2022 VR Awards. Wow. Alex is a strategic partnership manager for Contact CI, working in business development for their high-end haptic glove used in training with the U.S. Air Force. He is also an official correspondent for Upload VR and a writer for VR Trend Magazine. Wow. So many hats here, Alex. I'm so excited for you to be here. Welcome to the show. Hello, Ashley Coffey. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to be here. I feel like I need like a gong or something to like <laughs> yeah. you in here. Maybe it's an like... air horn would be appropriate. <laughs> bow, 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 bow. Exactly. Yes. Thank, uh, thank you for that very long-winded and um, thorough introduction. I appreciate that. And uh, yeah, it's um, it's it's crazy, you know, just uh, start getting after stuff. And then before you know it, you've gotten yourself involved in all kinds of different stuff. I know you know what that's like, Ashley. Yeah, but it's kind of cool to stop every now and then and then take a beat and then realize, oh, this is awesome. And I am excited to have that kind of realization, you know, 20 years from now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, uh, doing stuff with my partner, Skiva, I mean, we, you know, we just started a podcast so we could get involved in the industry and, you know, start to meet people and make connections and uh, have a reason to talk about the thing that we love. And all of a sudden, like, you know, two years go by and we're being nominated for VR awards and stuff. And we're like, just looking at each other being like, dude, is this for real? Like how, how did this happen exactly? How did we get here? So yeah, I definitely have plenty of those moments of uh, reflection and deep gratitude and kind of pinching myself uh, because I haven't always been in the tech industry, but I've always loved tech. So finding an opportunity to get in somewhere uh, has definitely been a little bit of a dream come true. So it's fun. Honestly, I will say hats off to you for that's a lot of hard work and a short amount of time to really get integrated into this community in the way that you have. So bravo to you for that hard work. Um, But Alex, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? I gave a bit of a long winded intro, but give us your version. Sure. Uh, so I go by Alex VR in the community, uh, co-host of the Between Realities VR podcast with, with Skiva. And, you know, that's definitely, uh, you know, like one of my primaries, you know, that's, I, I guess that's why I said it first. Uh, you know, it's kind of like our baby. It's our little, our little, uh, our little hub for the community, like you mentioned earlier. And it has been so awesome to every week have someone amazing from within the VR community come and join us as a guest on the show. Uh, you know, it keeps things fresh and it brings in a perspective of someone who, you know, knows what they're talking about. And, you know, I would say if anything, one of the things that really separates kind of what we're doing with Between Realities from uh, other stuff is the fact that we really try to peel away some layers and like get into some like 
deeper conversations if we're if we're capable of doing so. I mean, it kind of depends on who we have on the show and we know what they're trying to talk about and all that. But um, you know, this 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 immersive technology space is in my opinion, something of like mysticism, you know, like I, I find it insanely magical. And uh, I think that there's a very, uh, there's a, a philosophical per- perspective to view a lot of this technology from. So whenever I have the opportunity, I really try to get into those conversations, you know, like talk about the nature of what it is that we're doing and why it's so profound and why so many people kind of have their lives changed just after putting a headset on, you know? Um, so whenever we have the chance, like I said, I, I really try to get into that kind of stuff, but I, uh, have def, I found myself, uh, as a, as a haptics industry professional in the VR space, which is not a plan of, that I had, but, uh, you know, after starting to go to trade shows and expos and conferences and all of that, I, um, met with the B haptics people, Jennifer Lee from B haptics, who, uh, I love dearly. Um, she like kind of gave me an opportunity to become, you know, community manager for B haptics and crank out a bunch of promotional videos and help them design haptic patterns for their games and get involved in the haptic space, which is kind of a niche within a niche. Um, and most, most recent development being the job with contacts EI uh, with their high-end haptic glove as a strategic partnership manager for them doing the business development side of things and uh, you know representing them at these conferences and trade shows that I like to frequent so often so that's kind of uh, the, the main gist of it you know I'm an avid gamer I've always been a gamer I grew up playing video games I play video games now VR games flat games and card games board games it doesn't matter I just absolutely love games and um I live in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I've been married for a little over a year to my wife, Brittany, and um, life is good. Oh, yes. Yes. I love it. I You have such a well-rounded background that I think fits in so well into what you do. And you mentioned that you love having you know the philosophical conversations at the intersection of you know, AR, VR, MR, XR, the metaverse collectively. But this is a good segue because when we were having a conversation at AWE, you mentioned something that really caught my attention, which is really the center of today's episode. And you said, the R and AR and VR shouldn't be taken lightly. So let's dive in a little bit more to that. And I want you to expand on why you think that's important, because I love your philosophy on it, but I want the audience to hear it. Nice. Yeah, I'm glad glad you brought that up, Ashley. <laughs> Uh, it's, I find all of this stuff insanely fascinating. You know, if, 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 if you're, if your listeners are anything like me, they put a headset on and in an instant saw the future unfold, you know, like it's, it's amazing the, uh, the, the power that this technology has to just completely immerse us into an experience and transport us just basically ignoring space and time entirely, teleporting us into you know, digital spaces where we really feel presence with other people and multiplayer experiences and stuff like that. So it's really, really powerful stuff. And there, I, I think often about what it is that kind of separates something like a VR headset from watching a TV show or playing a flat screen game or watching a movie or, or some other form of non-immersive media. And it's really the fact that we are like hijacking our senses and pretending that there, you know, the, there's like the, we're removing all other stimulus of the real world and replacing it, replacing our sensory perception entirely. So it really starts to get me to think about like the nature of reality a little bit, you know, and like I often think about the nature of reality being someone who's a huge fan of philosophy. And, uh, you know, I think often about this like shared experience that we're all having, this sensory perception experience reality that's built up out of our five sensory perception organs. You know, what our eyes are telling us, what our ears are telling us, our, our nerves, our, our smell and our taste. And just by hijacking our eyes and ears, we're able to make someone believe like a shark is flying at their face, you know, or a zombie is about to bite them or something. That's just eyes and ears alone being hijacked and the way we hijack it is so funny it's like literally a flashing light over your eyeballs it's like a (laughs) flashing light making you hallucinate thinking that there is a shark in front of you 
but there is no shark there, of course, as, as we all know, or is there, right? I guess that kind of starts to get to it a little bit. Mm-hmm. But so when, when, when people refer to AR and VR, I really don't think that that R is to be taken lightly because already with a flashing light and a, a sound wave being tossed around in a speaker in your ear, creating this effect of, of 3D space and 3D audio, um, we're able to, to deliver these really, really profound and convincing experiences just today in, in 2022. You know, you can go out and buy a Quest 2, come home and scream your face off playing a horror game. You know, like it is no joke how immersive these experiences are. And we're just in the very, very beginning of this. So as these experiences start to become more and more true to life, they'll become more and more profound. And we're going to start to have serious, um, there's, it's gonna that's gonna have implications that current experiences don't. You know, like we're gonna have to start to think about, um, you know, stuff like uh, we're gonna kind of go back to the drawing board. I think with a lot of our definitions of of mm-hmm. these like human experiences. You know, like something like intimacy, for example. Mm-hmm. You know, like what does it mean to be intimate? You know, do you really need to be? Do you need to share space with someone, like true, like physical space, to be intimate with someone, or are you able to experience intimacy using this technology? today or tomorrow, the next iterations of it, you know, and what does that mean for your other relationships in your life, you know, and what what lines can you cross and what lines can't you cross? And it just starts to kick up all of these like moral, ethical, and philosophical questions that I think are a super, super interesting and fun to talk about and be super, super important to kind of get ahead of because as we start to embark in this new digital frontier, we're going to start to run headfirst into some of these problems and issues that could arise from having these experiences that aren't just silly simulations. Now you're really experiencing stuff, you know, or, or are you? And I guess we could argue that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think we're already seeing that actually. The excitement is outpacing the policy and the, so to speak, bumpers on the bowling alley. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um yeah, so it's really important to to bring that up, especially taking ethical considerations when people are building for AR, VR, or or, or MR. Um, you mentioned something previously that I wanted to go back to on on this like concept of of intimacy and technology that is so fascinating, and I've thought about this before as well because there are more and more experiences that are being developed now that kind of push the envelope of intimacy. And when I say intimacy, I mean intimacy and experience of being close to the content itself. Like for example, sound self, I would consider that to be an intimate experience because Mm -hmm. it's something that shifts based off of your input, your your vocal reverberations and and really what you put into the experience, you get out of it. So I think there's definitely a broad range there, but I'm glad that you brought that up because it's very interesting. Yeah. Sound self made me feel vulnerable because I'm like moaning out loud through all of the rooms of my house, you know, <laughs> like I'm like, it was, I was just happy nobody else was home while I was doing sound self. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a certain amount of vulnerability uh, that comes with using these kinds of, uh, like, I don't know, more meditative and, um, I don't know, experimental or psychedelic experiences. And it's kind of, it's interesting, though, because we, like, as far as gaming and stuff in VR is concerned, we see a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff that you wouldn't do in real life. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, I would say a good... 75 to 80% of VR experiences that currently exist are VR murder simulators. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're elegantly and beautifully murdering people or brutally and viscerally murdering people or uh, strategically and carefully murdering people <laughs> or there's just all these different ways to murder people. And mm-hmm. I appreciate uh, like what the zombie genre does, right? Because genre, I think this is why zombies are so important. A, they're cross-culturally um, accepted. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter where you are in the world, you can True. kind of get behind the idea of of the rat, the living dead. Um, B, they are humanoid, so there's like this familiarity to killing a creature that looks like a person, but it isn't a person, is it? No, <laughs> it's not. It's a it's like raising corpse, and it wants to eat your brain. So you don't really feel bad when you pull the trigger and watch its head disappear from its shoulders. You know, so it's not you don't really have the same empathy for a zombie as you do a, 
a, an actual human figure. So I think that that's another reason why we see a lot of zombie stuff because mm. it's fun to pull the trigger for whatever reason. It is fun. Um, but Especially it, with those haptics. Yeah. Amen. Uh, yeah. The, the <laughs> haptics kit is awesome. It feels like a machine gun's just like rattling in your arms. It's great. It's incredible. But this starts to beg like a question, you know, like for me and it's in really what it is, it's like, the, and this is kind of like the ethical and moral, moral aspect of this whole thing. It's like, so it's okay for us to murder people in VR. We've established that, that like society is cool with it, right? Like we've all done it already and we didn't lose any sleep over it, you know, but eventually that's going to get challenged. People are going to make stuff that really pushes the limits of what people are comfortable with. And we need to start asking ourselves what kinds of simulations and experiences are okay and mm-hmm. what what isn't okay and how do you draw that line you know and that starts to end up becoming this question of universal morality is it relative or is it universal can we define what's morally okay or or, or can't we and if we can how do we get there and if we can't then does that mean we just let everything just go off the the rails and people start making all kinds of terrible and horrific immersive simulations that for all intents and purposes should probably never exist mm. you see where i'm going with this I do. I do. And it it honestly alarms me because like right now, if someone wanted to take a photogrammetric or 3D scanned model of you, your body into a 3D environment and VR and simulate like shooting you and torturing you and doing all these things like that's wrong, obviously. But how do you how do you talk that through? That's just so wild. What makes it wrong? Yeah, exactly. What makes it wrong, you know? And and to be honest, like I often, when I start to think about it, it's like kind of scary, but I start to lean into this, this, the camp of like, well, you know, it's a victimless situation, right? Mm-hmm. There's no real victim here. I mean, if they take a 3D scan of you though, specifically that could have real world effects. So you are a victim in, in this scenario, I would say, mm-hmm. right? But let's say uh, it's not any specific person, you know, it's, it's just a, a generic animation or you know a model that someone created or whatever whatever it has um but you know i imagine that anything that's victimless and private should probably be okay right because mm-hmm. no one's getting hurt and you're not exposing anyone else to it that doesn't want to be exposed to something horrific do you you know what i'm saying yes, like do you true. feel that but also yes. is it possible that we can make a program that's so horrific that it should for all intents and purposes never exist mm. you know what i'm saying I'm yeah. trying to say things without saying things. Ah, okay. I get it. Just, I think my, my train of thought was going towards the area of like likeness, using digital likeness, like when we die, no. right? Which is, a, which is a, another very interesting conversation that is directly feeds into the idea of like needing to have some kind of like ethical or moral guidelines, I guess, or, or foundation or, or whatever, whatever word you want to use. Um, or just approach to figuring out like what's what's good and what's okay and what's not good and what's not okay and are we able to have that conversation or not and if we're not then does it all just run rampant and like I said it's just it's a difficult it's a crazy thing to think about. Oof. I think the closest thing that I've seen to a good set of principles and when I say principles I I mean kind of a universal set of rules that people should follow. Honestly, the best one I've seen in VR is the Burning Man principles for alt space. Whenever they did Burning Man in VR, um, Mm -hmm. they made sure everyone was aware of the 10 principles that you needed to acknowledge and you know follow um, if you're going to participate in the event. And it was, they're very human centered, very respect centered. And um, yeah, I'm curious who like who creates those standards right we're in this new wild wild west of it's more of a we're just going to do it and see what happens next versus right. ask ourselves should we I be think, doing this i think it's the the philosophers and like the thinkers you know and like the the people that are not as like directly logical you know and like not just weighing pros and cons like there's a lot of depth to this and this is and the reason why i use the word philosopher is mainly because i want to refer to kent by who Mm. does amazing 
work. He has mm -hmm. the Voices of VR podcast, which he's interviewed literally thousands of people on. And he has also been working towards this framework for XR ethics, you know, like a, an XR ethics manifesto. Mm -hmm. And he's like really putting in a lot of the thought and like really trying to figure out the best way that we can kind of approach some of this stuff. Um, because to Kent Bai, you know, this whole virtual reality thing is... Uh, the beginning of of something much much bigger you know and, and i'm right there with him i really do feel like this is uh something huge and um how does he refer to it he says it's a uh the beginning of a paradigm shift well said well said and yes i 100 agree kent by this is incredible he's like a supernova and for those of you listening if you're not following him definitely go follow he he has the the podcast as alex mentioned voices of vr Seriously, I, every time I I he, listen or see that guy speak, I learn something new. Like not just one, like a million things. Yeah, I mean, just, it's, it's starting wild. with words because his vocabulary <laughs> is ridiculous. Like you literally have to pay really close attention when he starts going off because he gives you the benefit of the doubt, which I appreciate. Because you know, if you want to have that conversation, you should probably know the vocabulary to do so. Mm -hmm. But. Uh, yeah, you really like there. There's been times where I've had to like really just focus so hard to make sure that I'm following his train of thought because he is just super smart. He's like a brainiac and he's just going off on it. So um, he's really great. We've had him on Between Realities multiple times and every every one of those episodes that we've had him on have been amazing. Awesome. I bet those have been some really great conversations. I need to go back and, and rewatch some of those. Um, wow. So I'm curious on you mentioned how you got involved in the world of, of XR, but I want to hear a little bit more of like just really what was your first experience of having that moment where you had the aha, this is gonna mm -hmm. be awesome, this is gonna be the future, this there's so much potential between you know science, philosophy. Tell us more about that moment for you, Alex. Sure. So, you know, I uh I would say that I've been uh I've been um I I have been thinking about stuff from a philosophical perspective for quite a while, like before virtual reality ever came along. Um, you know, I did uh, some spiritual practice of martial arts, you know, over the years. And, um, you know, I've been down the rabbit hole through different experiences and had some really profound mo moments in my life that kind of, uh, you know, lifted the veil for me, so to speak, and helped me kind of understand a little bit more about the nature of the world. And um, even as a young, young kid, I remember understanding my, that my inevitable death was coming, you know, like wow. knowing that it was coming as, as a, at a young age, like thinking about how I could, what that experience could possibly feel like, what it could, what that even means, you know, and uh, frankly, having it cripple me with fear. Mm. Um, for most of my life, probably, mm. and uh, until I got older, and I think that that was uh, something that I realized. Well, I don't know if I realized it, but subliminally, I started doing work on because mm. it. The more I can understand about the nature of reality, the more it alleviates my fear of my inevitable death. You know, <gasps> so that's really been always been like the the goal is to not be afraid to die, and uh, you know, before I got involved in any of the you know like working in the VR space, I was a server at, at restaurants, you know, I worked at nice restaurants and, you know, made a decent living doing it and didn't hate the lifestyle or anything. Anybody who served tables knows that there's a certain lifestyle that goes with it and it's not a bad one, but, uh, you know, the pandemic happened and uh, everybody got sent home and I had already started a channel about VR. I should probably pull it back a little bit. Um, I had a, uh, a Nintendo Wii back in the day that I really enjoyed um, doing like soft mod hacking too, where you could just like pop the SD card in, run some nice. programs, do some cool fun stuff, install games on it. You know, I did wow. all kinds of stuff and I was always watching videos and I saw someone that did some like reverse engineering with the Wiimote and the sensor bar to uh, make like a uh, head tracking happen on their TV screen. They were like moving their head left and right. And these targets on the TV screen were were shifting in the distance and like really created this awesome 3D effect. Oh. And it was at that moment that I realized that a head mounted display separate from your hands 
in the future is going to be absolutely amazing. Like that's when I started waiting for VR is when I saw that head tracking stuff and realized that an HMD with my hands separately is going to absolutely revolutionize all of my gaming experiences. Because if you've ever played a first person shooter on a flat screen game, you know that to peek, to peek around a corner, you for all intents and purposes have to stick your entire head around a corner because the weapon is for all intents and purposes attached to your chin right? Like wherever you look mm -hmm. is where the center of the reticle goes. But in VR, I can stick my hands out around a corner and leave my head safely behind it. You know, I can blind fire around corners. I can peek just a little tiny bit and pull my head back and, you know, shoot in a different direction while looking to the left. And so anyway, I've been waiting for VR for a while. I had a PlayStation VR demo at a Best Buy that got me halfway there. It was nice. the PlayStation Worlds demo and it was like the shark cage and the tanks one and um, the London heist and like all this stuff. And I was like, wow, this is <laughs> amazing. But I've always been a multiplayer gamer. I've always loved online multiplayer experiences. I've always used games to connect with people. I've always used the internet to connect with people. And it wasn't until I paid for some time at a VR arcade and I played rec room and I high fived oh. someone in rec room that it was all over. That was Whoa. the I had, and, and frankly, and this is kind of fun, but it was actually the haptic experience that really sold it for me because I, mm. you know, this, someone puts their hands up for a high five and I reached out and high fived them with this controller in my hand and high five someone across space and time and felt the vibration of their hand in the palm of mine when I went for the high five. And that was it. I was like, oh my God, like whole, and my brain melted and I realized that I was going to get involved. So started a channel, started making videos. Um, and then realized that I needed to start going to events and uh, went to VRLA, went to OC6, went to CES, started meeting people, shaking yes. hands, yes. making, doing interviews. You know, I went to OC6 with a selfie stick and a microphone in the other hand. So <laughs> it was just it. like solo interviewing selfie stick with a mic. And uh, yeah, that kind of just became my approach. You know, I figured uh, I can just go and talk to everybody and make a video and that gives me a reason to be there <laughs> you know wow this is amazing alex i'm just i already had an appreciation for you you know this but just like hearing this is a newfound appreciation um <laughs> thank you for sharing this. this there's just so much goodness in what you said particularly around the fear of death i think everyone has that but let's back up a little bit i want to applaud you for pivoting I talked to a lot of people that had to pivot during the pandemic and ended up get finding themselves in the world of XR, whether that's on a development side or a BD side or you name it. Um, and I love hearing these stories because they're real and it's just a really good example of doing it, just doing it. Don't overthink it, just do it. So just yeah. want to applaud you for that. Thank you. You know, I mean, the situation, it was almost like, it almost just... I don't know, it just worked out, you know, like all of a sudden, hey, guess what? You can't go to work anymore. You know, <laughs> like you mm -hmm. can't go spend your time in a restaurant anymore. You get all your time to yourself. Oh, and you know what? Since this is like a horrific situation, we're going to give everybody unemployment. So here I am getting unemployment, which by the way, I became a patriot during coronavirus. I've never exactly been a patriot, <laughs> you know, like been a little bit more of a uh, conspiracy theorist, I guess, if you wanted to just oh, like lump okay. me into a crowd, you know, like just uh, not thinking that, you know, the powers that be always have humanity's best interests in mind and holy crap, we could be living in, in so much better harmony, you know, kind of like a hippie, I guess. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so I've never really been like a huge, like pro-government, pro-the-man dude. but. Uh, man, I felt really grateful to be American during the pandemic. Like, you know, I got kicked out of my job and all of a sudden they're like, okay, don't worry about it. Like, here's your unemployment. You're good. You know, like we're going to make sure you have food. Like here's a, here's the bonus money or whatever. And yeah, a lot of people got screwed by that and I feel bad for them, but not me. I was one of the people who did nothing but benefit from all of like the government assistance during the pandemic. So I got all my time, I got my bills paid and I just put my head down and just ran into the to the VRXR thing and started getting involved. Wow. Well, it's good that you made good use of that time. And yes, you're, you're right. <laughs> I think we, we all are still kind of recalibrating from that, those two years of like, what is happening? Um, and it's nice to, to have that safety net of, you know, it's not the end of the world if it happens. And not for me. 
Yeah. We, and it, but it, <laughs> for some people did, did have like a, a lot of hard times, you know, getting unemployment and then finding out their identities were stolen, yada, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, that's an incredible time. And I'm glad that you made, you made, you made a good situation out of a terrible situation. I did. I'm very grateful for the way things worked out. Yes. Yes. Well, this is a good segue, Alex. Can you talk about what you're currently working on? That's like not top secret. Sure. So, uh, you know, and we're in season six of Between Realities right now. We we do our thing seasonally. You know, it gives Congrats. us an opportunity. Thank you. Thank you. Gives us an opportunity to uh, step away for a little bit, take a break, you know, implement any kind of like aesthetic changes or like time zone changes or, you know, format changes, what have you, you know, it gives us time to book guests and get things up and running like that. So we'll usually do like, I don't know, like 15 to 25 episodes for a season, you know, oh, weekly wow. episodes, um, and then take a break for a month or so, and maybe, maybe a month and a half and then come back. But anyway, yeah, season six between realities is happening. We do, we do our show on YouTube. It's a live, like live stream style show, you know, and like I said earlier, it's a video podcast. So, um, yeah, you can watch a live video broadcast of that, which is really cool. It's a lot of fun. It's super like, um, conversational, you know, very like we try to have as authentic of conversations as possible. So mm -hmm. we just kind of pull people on and we don't prepare them so well like you do. Like, I got to say, Ashley, your preparations for this show are just psh, immaculate. Oh, like, thank you. I tried. All, the, all the invites, like everything's covered. The questions are there, like questionnaire. Yeah, you're on it. We don't do all that. We're like, hey, <laughs> sh show, up. <laughs> show up at two and we're going to grill you. <laughs> I like <laughs> yeah. that approach though. <laughs> Yeah, it's fun. So, we're, you know, I do Between Realities and um, I just uh, this week announced my role with Contact CI. Like I said, I've been uh, working with them for a minute, but uh, it wasn't really time to make an announcement or make it like publicly known or anything. Mm -hmm. So, um, yep, I've been working with Contact CI now as a strate uh, strategic partnership manager. And, uh, you know, we are... We have some exciting new stuff coming up uh, for CES. So there's a lot of that mm. happening like behind the scenes at uh, Contact CAI, which makes a very high end and really, really cool haptic glove. Um, this is a glove that features what we call uh, multi-force ergonomic haptics. Whoa. And it, yes, it's a very awesome and fun and fancy word. And <laughs> it uh, basically means that the glove has um, the vibration in the fingers. So when you interact with objects, you feel vibrations in VR with hand tracking, of course, right? This is all a hand tracking haptic solution. Um, but it also features force feedback restriction and like mm -hmm. impact haptics. So, uh, you know, if you start to grip on something, it'll prevent your fingers from moving and kind of create the, the sensation of there being a physical object in your hand in the space. And the ergonomic part comes from the gloves form factor being super, super sleek and like really dexterous. You know, you have full control of all of your fingers in uh, the Maestro DK3. And a lot of gloves that provide force feedback kind of have this like exoskeleton kind of thing going on where there's like these like almost like robot fingers that arch up on top of your fingers to like lock them in. Um, but the Maestro DK3 is, like I said, it's a very sleek form factor and it uses kind of like a pulley system with like wires that it will like real and unreal, super, super fast that allow you to either move your fingers or restrict the movement. So those gloves are awesome. And uh, I'm doing everything that I can to make sure that like the demo experience is like really sound and make sure that that like when we put somebody in the gloves for the first time that they have a profound haptic experience right away as opposed to like something like a sandbox demo where you kind of have to like fumble with some objects for a while before you land on something that you really like and that you feels good feels good mm -hmm. i am i'm trying to make a situation uh happen for us that is a little bit more gamified in a way that and just kind of controls the user experience to the point where they can really feel an, a good interaction immediately you know and then start to explore the limits of or the you know the the far limits of what the glove can do so 
that's kind of uh, some of the stuff that I've been working on behind the scenes with Contact CI, and we are planning on showing some stuff off. We are planning a lot of trips right now. We are going to be going to multiple conferences. There's the Smithers Smart Haptic Conference in December in uh, Seattle, and we're going to uh, ITSEC, which is like a training and simulation conference in uh, Orlando uh, at the end of November. Uh, and then we're going to be bouncing over to Rotterdam to uh, attend the VR award ceremony because not only did Between Realities get nominated for VR Content Creator of the Year at the VR Awards, but Contact CI got nominated for VR Hardware of the Year at the Whoa. VR Con Yeah, pretty amazing. That's amazing. So, yep. Wow. So we're going to be going wins all there. around. Yeah, pretty pretty cool. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know, I, like I have to like remind myself sometimes that that's a reality, but it's like, oh yeah, I guess I work for a VR, nom you know, VR Awards nominated company and my podcast is, and I guess we're doing something right, which is <laughs> kind of cool. You know, it's fun, fun to have those realizations from time to time. It's a journey, not a destination. Yeah. Which is a joy. You know, I, I wanted to back up on the Maestro DK1 gloves that you mentioned, because when I saw that photo of you in them, that's what really stood out to me is the, the form factor. Super slim, super slim. And I know the mechanics that go into creating a glove. So I'm like, really blown away by it but also um since it's using being used for the air force i see a lot of practical application for that especially for processes and training and retraining i'm curious how how do you like I, i've talked to ashley huffman about haptics designing but when you get that granular on having multiple like different inputs for different sections of your finger and hand how do you develop for that on the back end for to go with the experience the way that it should. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I should preface what I'm about to say with the, the fact that I'm not a developer. So I can't speak from a developer's perspective when it comes to the, the approach, but I have designed using hardware and software that was already created by someone smarter than me, how things should feel and kind of taking an approach to where haptics should land on certain devices and how intense they should be and, you know, uh, how long it should be and, you know, all the, all, all that kind of stuff. So I do have some perspective to answer this question from, but not the developer's perspective. So I'm going to start by saying that. Um, but I think the, it, with, cause with the current state of haptics, there's only, there's only so many different ways that are currently kind of like industry standard that we can approach a haptic experience, mm -hmm. um, you know, because at the end of the day, it needs to, while it needs to, it needs to bring value to the experience for sure, but it has to do so in a way that doesn't cost like $50 million, you know, and yeah. it has to, it has to be small and it has to fit in, in your hand. It has to do a lot of stuff. So, you know, the primary way that haptics are being, um, used, I guess, is through vibration motors, whether they're ERM motors or a different kind, but there's like something spinning that creates a vibration and you feel it. That's the big one. That's where we see most of it. There's also other kind of haptics out there, like, um, you know, like force feedback, right? With like the pulley system with like mm -hmm. the Maestro DK3 or like one of the exoskeletons that you'll see on something like the Hapdex or the Tesla suit force feedback glove. Um, and then there's other stuff where we yeah, I mean, this is even fringe for right now, but we are starting to see stuff like thermal haptics, you know, oh. hot and cold, you know, or electrical haptics like the Tesla suit, uh, haptic suit, which like literally shocks you or the OWO vest, which literally shocks you, which is a crazy thing. In another conversation <laughs> in itself. Yeah. So that's wild. But so what I, with, with the current tools that we have, you know, primarily being vibrational or, or the force feedback stuff, a lot of the interactions are, um, they kind of imply things, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you have to imagine that uh, it's basically going to be impossible to actually emulate what it feels like to pick up a banana using some vibrations. Mm -hmm. But what can we do to imply this banana's existence using these subtle cues? You know, like what I've kind of found in a lot of instances is that less 
really is more, you know, mm -hmm. like a lot of times people see a haptic device and they want to start having fun with it. So they just pick it up and just like crank everything to 500 and see what it feels like when it shakes super hard and all of that stuff, which is, you know, all fun and good. But for an immersive haptic experience, it should almost be like really subtle, you mm -hmm. know, like subtle to the a point where maybe you aren't really even thinking about it. You know, you're just doing your thing and uh, you're having this more immersive experience through having um you know your your sense of touch be activated uh while you're embodied in this immersive experience because like i was saying earlier you know your eyes and your ears they're doing pretty good already right mm -hmm. like we're covering your whole eye with that light and flashing it at the speed at which your eye sees stuff and we are covering your whole ear with these cupped headphones and throwing sounds all over the place and making you feel like there's something 10 feet behind you you know like both of those are nailed pretty well right now um and it's only going to get better for the record but it's already convincing i guess is what i mean to say mm -hmm. and the haptic experiences kind of have a long way to go as far as like really creating these like totally um convincing experiences that really make you feel like that thing is happening and of course it it matters what the experience is but uh you know like most people aren't trying to feel pain when they are in an immersive experience like a vr game you know like you get shot in a vr game you probably don't want to actually feel what it feels like to be a to get hit by a bullet so what can we do to imply that you got hit by a bullet in a way that maybe creates the same level of urgency that you might experience in uh, uh, i don't know i've never been hit by a real bullet so i guess i don't know how urgent that is but you know i think i think you might uh, hopefully are picking up what i'm laying down here oh yeah and that's how we designed westworld welcome I'm just kidding. I was like, wait a second. You designed Westworld? No, 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 um, Just the whole like concept of, you know, that fidelity and breaking that. Um, mm -hmm. Wow. This is, this has gone in, in a lot of really good directions, but I, on the form factor, I want to go back to the gloves real quick. Yeah. Um, because in a previous life, I did work on a project with the Air Force and it was basically taking instructions on how to change the outboard tire of a CB-22 Osprey, which is a really expensive plane. And during that process of like translating the instructions, which you know are dry and very Air Force-y, and, and I say that with all respect, um, <laughs> it's difficult to translate that into an immersive experience where it's um, – um, engaging right so mm -hmm. i think the missing link here is definitely the haptic so to put it into practicality a little bit more specific than a banana of let's think of a torque wrench it's something that you actually legitimately need to feel a little bit of haptic feedback there or if you work in high growth high demand jobs like manufacturing or out in in working in the field where you have to work with big machinery and you're literally feeling the earth to mm -hmm. determine what your next button push is going to be. I think there's a so much practical application there and I'm glad that y'all have figured it out because that's really the missing link. Yeah. You know, it then really the two, the two main ones really, in my opinion, are um, expensive or dangerous. Mm -hmm. Like those two things are the reason why you might want to start using haptics and vr and immersive experiences to do like training simulations and stuff and the the value of haptics in these kinds of experiences is is a lot it's very valuable <laughs> i'm so eloquent tonight um what are words yeah <laughs> but it's there's a huge huge value in uh in haptics when it comes to creating um consequences for your action. This is kind of where I maybe see the value in having something like a Tesla suit, you know, because mm -hmm. if we're doing a training simulation on like an oil rig and the next wrong move like blows it up and like kills my kills me and everybody around me because it's like a huge explosion or whatever, um we want to train you in an, in a in an immersive experience before we put you on that machine. Mm -hmm. You know, because uh, the the more familiar you can be with that space, with what the stuff looks like, with the location of these buttons, with the size of that wrench, you know, all of that stuff, um, the better. It's like about making you familiar with that scene, not so much what does it feel like to hold the wrench in my hand. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So making you familiar with that uh, oil thing and making sure that, you know, you uh, are as well prepared as possible before that saves us a lot of time and money, you know, because oil rigs are way more expensive than virtual oil rigs, 
you know, so for you to train on something of that size, you know, they'd have to like either make a mock version of it or put you up on an actual one where it's dangerous and scary and, and all of that. Um, and then where I see something like a painful haptic experience really being valuable here is that if you do something like blow up the oil rig and you actually have a painful experience as a result, not, not an actual explosion and your death, but a, actually just like a negative, re, negative reinforcement, you know, like I, there's huge value there. Like pain is an insanely valuable teacher and it will stick with you if it hurt when you put in the wrong combination, you know, you won't want to put in the wrong combination again. And I think it ups the stakes and it creates oh. a lot of urgency. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, and in talking about replicating things, digital twins, right? Uh, being able to replicate something IRL. It's interesting that you mentioned that. There was an experience that I was on a team for, and we actually did this for a company that um, did a simulation for loading up these tanker trucks full of of, of oil, petroleum oil, gasoline. And um, there's like a a safety station, right? And if you don't follow the steps, like the whole thing explodes, but it's really just like you lost and everything turns red and it resets. And you're Um, like, okay, whatever, who cares? Yeah. So I'm imagining like, oh, if you did the wrong thing or you get shocked, whoa, what, what kind of liability formed would I need to sign before I get into that experience? And, and that's what I was alluding to when I said that that's a whole nother conversation because there are risks with using technology like that, that isn't exactly uh, present in a lot of other tech. You know, you're not putting something on that you know is going to shock you, that's going to like restrict your movement, like could potentially lock your muscles. Like if somebody hacked the suit and just started jolting you with it, they could just fry you with something like that, you know, <laughs> like oh, no. kind of sketchy. So, you know, there's definitely some weirdness uh, entering that territory. Uh, but the other aspect of it, you know, to make it a little less doom and gloom is the expensiveness of stuff, you know, like for the Air Force, for example, to put someone in a real cockpit is way more expensive than to put them in a VR headset with a pair of gloves, you know, mm-hmm. to rebuild a cockpit costs like, I don't, I don't know, 10 million. I, I'm just guessing a lot, you know, millions, hundreds of thousands, big numbers. Um, instead of like grabbing, I don't know, a huge pile of quests, putting the same program on all of them, putting gloves on everybody, having everybody there together, like becoming familiar with the space of the cockpit, learning where all the buttons are, learning which sequence they need to execute the buttons. So by the time they actually sit into that real cockpit, they they got to figure it out. They already know what they're doing, you know, and you didn't have to give them a real cockpit to accomplish that. So there's a lot of money to be saved depending on the kind of training that people are doing. Yes, yes, and yes. And for those that are listening that might be skeptical, the data shows, the data backs this up, actually, research is showing that there's more content engagement in learning retention and learning in an immersive environment. I mean, these Fortune 500 companies like Accenture is using AR or VR to onboard their new employees, and it's just going to continue to, to expand. Yep. Especially as the tech keeps getting better, you know, like right now we still kind of, uh, what's the word? Like we, I don't know. We, we, we take a few, uh, we do, we, we deal with it a little bit. You know what I mean? Like the quest two is a brick. That thing is Mm -hmm. huge and heavy. And if you don't spend a hundred dollars on third party comfort accessories, it's going to hurt you, you know? So great point. Yeah. Great point. Not comfortable. And it's only going to get better. It's only going to look better, sound better, lighter, easier to use. It's, yeah. We're on also, inclusive design will also make things more comfortable. So cough, yes. cough, Meta, if you're listening. Consider cough, coffee. Cheese. Um, <laughs> I love it. That's so good. That's so good. Well, Alex, I could, I could have a multi-hour long conversation with you. And I do want to have another like part two of this at some point. Um, on Between Realities. Yes, we're, I'm going to be on the show. I'm so excited right. about that. I think that's happening November 18th. 18th, right? yeah. I think you, yeah, that sounds right. It's live. It's going to be on a Friday. So if you all are listening, tune in to Alex's podcast. Yeah, come get uh, some live, Alex. unscripted Ashley Coffee. We're going oh, to hit I her with wait. all the hard questions. Oof. Buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up. All right, Alex. So as we're wrapping up and rounding out this fabulous conversation that I'm definitely going to be thinking about for the next 48 hours, 
what kind of resources would you have for those who are listening that want to learn more about what you're up to? Well, oh boy, I got some resources for you. I've got a a Twitter that I post to pretty often with anything uh, that's noteworthy, you know, any uh, Between Realities episode going live, any event that I'm going to, any other podcast appearance, right? Like this one, you'll be able to see me announce my appearance on this podcast from my Twitter if, uh, oh, wait a second, no. You're just hearing this now. Never mind. (laughs) Go follow me on Twitter. It's Alex underscore underscore VR because uh, Alex VR is taken by an inactive account and Twitter will not give it to me. It's very sad. Yeah. I'm like, come on. This guy's not even logging in. Give it to me. I'll get it one day. It's got to become a bigger deal than I already am, I guess. Uh, I'm also uh, Between Realities on YouTube, right? YouTube.com slash Between Realities. Yeah, that's it. You know, like and subscribe. I'm on everything else too, but Twitter and YouTube are the ones that I will say you should probably come to. Oh, and Discord also. There's a Between Realities Discord, um, which is linked in places. And um, I will link all of that in the show notes for everyone. that, That works. Yes. Great. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're just all over the place. I love it. And, um, yeah, if people are listening that are going to be at some of those conferences and trade shows that Alex mentioned, definitely go find Alex, introduce yourself, um, check out those cool gloves. But, um, Alex, this has been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so, so much for taking the time to come on the show and, you know, share your knowledge and expertise and time with us. This is literally why I started the podcast is to have awesome conversations with awesome people like you. So um, thank you for all that you do, Alex. Thank you so much, Ashley Coffey, for your kind words, for holding this space and uh, for everything that you are doing uh, for for the good of virtual reality and immersive media. Um, I really appreciate you. This was a, definitely a lot of fun. And uh, like you said, we could keep going for hours, I think. But I think the time has come to not keep going for hours and to call it. <laughs> the time has come. Time has come. Well, thank you so much. And we'll catch you again next time. Thank you so much, Ashley. If you enjoyed today's episode of Coffee and Code, share it with a friend. You can also support this podcast by leaving a rate and review on Apple Podcasts, and you can also share it on social media. It doesn't matter if you have five or 500 or 5,000 followers, you have influence. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes go live. Thank you so much for listening to Coffee and Code.